Oh, hey, welcome to night school. Going to do one more here before bed. Just going to do one more before bed. Going to do five more. Five more before bed. Tomorrow, January 21st, is my mom's birthday, which is the day that I choose to remember her. You know, you make choices. When someone dies, you make certain choices. Because there's a lot of people, they, they choose the day of death to be the day that they remember somebody or it's a day that it's very heavy on their mind. And I talked about that. I'll talk about it on here. It's going to be on my mind. December 10th will always be a day that I associate with that. But it's not the day that I choose to to remember her. You know, because I'd rather focus on the day that she came into the world rather than the day that she left. Even though that doesn't, it's, it's not a negative. It's not a bad day for me. December 10th, the last couple of years, hasn't been a, a bad day. But I'd rather focus on, you know, when my mom came into the world. Also, just for me personally, because I mean, yeah, I'll be think I'll be thinking about her, I'll be remembering her, thinking about her a little more intently. But uh, beyond that, I just need a shift, man. I just I need a. Uh, I've been living like a depressed person the last couple months. My sleep schedule's been so screwed up, the most screwed up I ever remember it, and it's taken its toll. You know, people always talk about regulating your your sleep schedule, getting enough sleep. We all know those things are good for you, but forget how bad they can be when you don't do that. So my sleep schedule, I think that's just at the core of it. I've really let meditation go to the side the last month or so. I still do it. Not every day. Not I'm not just not disciplined at all with it. Did it a little bit tonight. I got home from a walk and then I, I decided to sit for just, I think, about 15 minutes, just going through the motions. And you know what? Even that made a difference. Even just sitting for five minutes, going through my r- little ritual, my little meditation ritual, even just 15 minutes of that loosened something up in my brain. My brain was feeling really foggy, really uh, just not good, not a headache. Hard to even describe, just a bad feeling in my head. And that's the physical side, but I also just felt better. I felt like I had just a little more clarity. So I need to get back into that. I need to snap back in. And the good thing about letting it go for about a month, you know, as I said, I, I have been meditating, just not every day, not with the level of commitment, because that's what they tell you. You know, you have to mean it. You have to mean it when you do it. Even if it's not a good one, as long as you're trying, as long as you're keeping up on it, it does make a difference. And, you know, like Alan Watts said, the goal is always so that you don't have to meditate. You meditate so that you don't have to meditate. And that's the nice thing is that not meditating, not meditating, it's not like it, it ruined my life. Oh, my God, it ruined my life. It's not like it's ruined my, my life to not do it as much. But uh, the nice thing is I've been doing it for years now. So it's not like I just started a few months ago and did this. It's something that is built into my life. It's easy enough to snap back into it. But even, yeah, just doing it for a few minutes tonight, 15 minutes, you know, I usually aim for about 20. I don't time myself, but about 20 is usually how it works out. But even that made a difference. Got a shave, got a shower, a shave, clipped my nails. Batty got his nails clipped a few days ago. 
So we're clean and we're clipped, as they say, as we say. I don't know if anybody else says that, but we say we're clean and we're clipped. So going in tomorrow, feeling good. Because, yeah, I do need a shift. And I've been kind of looking toward my mom's birthday as that day, the day that I need a shift. As kind of a symbolic day, because it's a month into winter, you know, January 21st is exactly a month after the winter solstice. So winter's underway. And yeah, I mean, fall here, fall starts in November, or, or rather winter starts in November. As soon as that first November chill kicks in, and it starts getting darker, it's psychologically winter for me. So I feel like I've been in winter pretty much the last, you know, as long as I've been living like a depressed person recently, it's pretty much been since the first feeling of winter set in. And it wasn't seasonally, it's not a seasonally affected pseudo depression. I think it's just the culmination of a lot of things. And I need to get myself in gear. I've been just chipping away, doing everything I need to do. I mean, I have some obligations. I have some big life things I need to take care of, very big things. And then I have uh, this creative obligation that's just weighed on my shoulders for the last year. It's been about exactly a year that this creative obligation has been on my shoulders, not something I'm being paid for, so there's no financial incentive, and I wouldn't want one, of course, but still, it's a creative obligation, and I've just been putting it off, you know, there's just such a difference. I mean, when you're doing something with somebody or for somebody, and I'm I'm purposely being vague here, but uh, when you're doing, when you're creatively obligated, and it's something you choose to do, it's something you want to be a part of, it's something you have been a part of, it's so different for me, because I mean, I can go, I mean, I, I drew for 12 hours the other day, first time I've drawn in probably a month or two, two months, but I drew for 12 hours straight. But the nice thing about my own personal creativity is I can just, I cannot do a single thing for months because I don't need to at this point. As much as I would like to be consistently creative, I don't really have that hunger for it. Because, you know, I've been doing the same things for, you know, thinking about, you know, my old experimental noise project. I mean, I started that almost 20 years ago. And while I, you know, there's no creative block, I don't feel that I ran out of ideas or anything. But at the same time, when you've been doing something that long, you know, you change as a person and just your your hunger to do that constantly, your hunger to keep working on it changes. It might not go away, but it changes. And, I, you know, I get the most satisfaction out of life these days, just working out, hanging out with my dog occasionally doing something creative, keeping that skill, keeping that fire, you know, alive a little bit. But I just enjoy basic things. I like thinking. I enjoy doing this show. Even when I'm just ranting and raving with cultural, political commentary, it's still a creative process for me. And it's easy because you just sit down and just let your mind do the work. But with drawing, with music, things like that, I don't know, just, I think something changes in a person. I think there's a reason why a lot of people do their best work when they're younger. Not everybody. 
Because in some ways, I feel like I'm more capable now than when I was younger. But that's kind of how things work. When you're less capable, you're working more on it. Whereas when you feel like you've reached a certain level, a certain plateau, you're more willing to rest, I guess. Rest, I guess. But having a creative obligation for somebody else is such an entirely different story. And two, when there's just a difference in outlook. You know, because it's interesting to see people who are my age and older, and they found something that's that works for them. And they're good at it. And it stays relevant to them. And they just, they want to do it forever. It's just, it's something that they found and they can and will do it forever. But that's not me. You know, there are some things that I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to stop doing anything permanently, but it's just, there's just such a different outlook there. And I have a lot of friends who are more like me. I have friends that I've worked with who I, I still work with on some things. And they're more like me, where that drive has changed. The idea of just plugging away forever when you've been doing something for 15 or 20 years. I don't know. It just, it seems, you know, it's, it, it doesn't even matter. It's, it's not even like your feelings about what you're doing have changed. It's just everything else has changed. And you're a different person. I mean, even just the shift when you turn 30 years old. I was talking to one listener, a friend and a listener here, found out he was 30. I know there's another guy who listens to the show who I think he's in his mid-20s. And I hate to be 36 and be like, oh, that's so young. Oh, my God, you're so young. I'm not trying to sound like that at all. I'm just saying it's different. You know, something does change in you when you turn 30 and maybe not for everybody, but for me. So I need to knock that creative obligation out and do it in a way that it feels right. You know, not just go through the motions and then take care of some much larger life stuff that's been going on. But uh, yeah, tomorrow's going to be a shift for me. I have some work to do. But other than that, I just want to get my head right because my head has not been right. And I call it a pseudo depression because I don't feel depressed at all. I don't feel mentally depressed about anything. I don't really feel negative at all. But my lifestyle is certainly that of a depressed person. Like a lot of sleeping on the couch. And as I've said, the sleep schedule is just, ooh. Like late last night, I was in bed trying to sleep. And I just got up and I just started snacking. Which, you know... I get enough exercise that that's not going to make or break me, but still, like, that's not like me. It's not like me to go get in bed and then snack. But uh, anyway, yeah, it doesn't feel like a real depression. I've, I've been depressed. You know, I have been actually depressed before, and it is. it can be gutting. I mean, you feel gutted, and I don't feel that way at all. But even if you're just living the lifestyle of a depressed person, that catches up to you. You know, you get hit with these waves of paralysis. Because that's what I've been dealing with as well. Just these waves of paralysis. Like, when I was sick, 
about a month ago, less than a month, three weeks ago, I was having that, which might have been the, the coroni, because they say that's a big symptom, is you're, you're hit with these just just an unimaginable level of exhaustion at times. And that's what I was feeling then. It was more of an exhaustion. But lately, I've just had these walls of paralysis that I can't really get past. And I have a lot to do, so that's not good. So I'm hoping tomorrow lights the fire. We're clean and we're clipped. We're clean and we're clipped. Batty just came over here and he's got his front paws on my thigh. He's very curious. But I just listened to a show about synchronicity. It's an old show that I like. They used to have a public access show. And of course, in the age of YouTube, the guy moved over to YouTube. It's very new agey, but it it runs, you know, a spectrum of topics. You know, if it's an episode about Reiki healers, I don't listen but it does deal with synchronicity a lot. And tonight, a new I haven't been watching it lately at all. But tonight, an episode popped up about synchronicity. You know, I had some chores, as they call them, to take care of. What we call chores. So just listening to that while I took care of some things. Had that playing in the shower. and It was fun. It's fun to hear about that. I really haven't been paying as much mind to that. You know, with not meditating... I mean, a normal topic on this show is for me to go on for two hours about synchronicity and spirituality and just these, for lack of a better term, other sort of experiences that we have. I really haven't been focused on that at all. Haven't been tapped into it. Normally, I feel very tapped in, even if I'm not experiencing synchronicity at a given time, which, as I've said, I experience less and less. Once I kind of understood what that was to me, not that I necessarily understand why and how and what it even is, but just once I kind of understood that it's an experience of connectivity, it's a communication of connectivity, and you're not experiencing distinct and separate synchronicities, you're experiencing a whole synchronicity in glimpses. Once I kind of understood that, and I would still say kind of. I do mean that. Kind of understand. I experience them far less. And then when I do, they just kind of come and go. And I always heard that people would get to that place. I would, like you know, This is a subject that I've been interested in my entire adult life. And I always heard that about people where it was like they just come and they go. Like Jason Louv talked about Genesis P. Orridge from Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV. Because he was kind of mentored by Genesis. I, uh, I kind of met Genesis. I don't know that I shook Genesis's hand or anything or even said anything. My friend talked to Genesis, but I was there. <laughs> we stayed in the same hotel. So I stood in the same hotel lobby, which seems good enough. That seemed, you know, I, I think by, by the standards you know, by by my standards, that's meeting somebody. Standing in the same lobby, staying in the same hotel. In the context of psychic experiences, I think that's meeting. Now, it's funny, as my friend went up and said something to Genesis, and Genesis just said, my hotel is flooded. That's how Genesis sounds. My hotel room is flooded. 
which is perfect too, that it's like my buddy went up to say something and Genesis was just concerned with the hotel flooding, which that, that seems to take priority. What do you expect? But Jason Louvre was mentored by Genesis and he said, uh, when synchronicity would happen, Genesis would just say, of course, of course, I like that. More and more, that's how it feels. When it does happen, it's not... Because, I mean, when I was 18 or 19 and I would have those experiences, I would call Miles. I would tell my mom. I'm so cool. I would tell my mom. I would, I would be like, you wouldn't believe what happened today. I was I was thinking about this and I, I came across this book about this. And then that night, somebody called me and they brought that subject up out of nowhere. And I had just been thinking about them. You know, I used to be more that way where it was an event. Every little synchronicity you experience was an event. And that's fun. You know, it's fun to be excited about that kind of thing. There's some people who want to naysay. People who believe in them even want to naysay that. People who are spiritual gurus will say, don't get excited. But the idea is don't cherish them. It's not don't get excited. It's not don't have fun. The idea is don't get too excited. Don't get so excited that you cherish it. Because I've made lists before. Like I've mentioned the story on here when my friend Nick and I went to Canada and stayed in the mountains. How that entire trip was just one after the other. Everything we talked about, every obscure thing we talked about would come up. So I started making a list. It was fun to do, though. I wouldn't even say we were cherishing it. I wouldn't even say we were holding on to it. Because the idea is, you know, when you do that, it's spiritual materialism. The idea is not to hold on to every little experience that falls into the other category. The idea is to make that normal, because it is. It is normal. We just don't see it most of the time. We don't pay attention most of the time. Or when we do notice it, we dismiss it. Because there are, there's that other sort of person. Just like there's that person who is very spiritually attuned, who says, don't cherish that kind of thing. There's also the opposite of that, which is the person who says, this can be explained by science. As a ma- it's a matter of probability. It, it's a matter of mathematical probability that you're going to experience that. Don't read into that. It's not real. You know, there's, there's that sort of person who's the atheist. They're like the pro-wrestling atheist who says, Did you know it's fake? You don't have to believe it's all real. But it's also not fake. So where do you go from there? But listen to this episode tonight. It was a good night to listen to it. I saw it pop up and I was like, you know what? He's doing an episode about synchronicity. He had a woman who's written some books about that. Just kind of had it on in the background, but I was like, you know, this feels right. Going into my mom's birthday, she was into that kind of thing. Not too deeply, but just enough. Just enough to where she and I could have some interesting conversations. And uh, one of the topics on this episode was about communicating with the deceased, experiencing synchronicity with the deceased. And it also touched upon like the role of technology in that. 
the woman said that you know she she knows somebody who claims to have received a phone call from a deceased aunt. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know. If I experienced it, I'd experience it. I wouldn't outright dismiss it. I don't know what that is. I know a lot of people would have an extremely cynical response to that idea. I don't know what's going on. I've experienced strange things. And that hasn't proven anything to me. But what it has done is given me an open mind toward other people's strange experiences that I might otherwise dismiss if I hadn't experienced strange things myself. I don't expect a phone call from my mom. You know, I I was joking a few months ago how my horoscope said, expect a visit from your mother today. And I was like, oh boy. Am I going to, is my mom's ghost going to float by? But, uh, no, I like hearing people talk about it. I like hearing people explore that subject. Not everybody, just like any subject. I mean, somebody can be talking about a subject that I love. You know, it's what I've said before about friends. How, like, you're, you, can, you can make friends with somebody and have no interests in common with them. It helps to have something. But you can make friends with somebody and not like the same music, not like the same entertainment, to really have nothing in common with them. But there's something almost what people describe as chemistry because they love to be scientific about these things. But chemistry. You can have chemistry with somebody. And then this happens to me all the time where there are people who have virtually identical interests as me and I don't really like them. In the past, I might even hate them. might even hate them. Now, I don't feel that way. I actually appreciate it. When I come across somebody who has similar interests to me, I think just the state of the world, I'm more appreciative of that. Even if I don't get along with somebody or feel any pull toward them, if they're just into the same things I'm into, I'm just like, I'm glad other people exist. Because it turns out there's not too many of us. But still, it's like somebody can have, they can, their favorite band can be your favorite band, but you might not like them. You know, you might not, you know, it's just these things, you know, someone can be perfect on paper, but you just don't get along. I mean, that's true for romance as well. Somebody can seem perfect for you on paper, but really when you talk to them, when you spend time with them, it's just not there. But with the, you know, I don't use the word supernatural because I wouldn't say my interests are supernatural. I don't spend much time thinking about ghosts. But it's funny that humanity tries to create ghosts all the time. I haven't heard anything new about people recreating their deceased loved ones through AI. You know, I, I was talking a lot about the school shooting parents who recreated their son. They created a CGI version of their son to give an anti-gun ad, to give a pro-gun control ad. I talked enough about that, so I won't go into it again. And there are other examples of people doing that. I know a famous celebrity, her husband had an AI version of her dad created who sang her favorite song to her, some song he used to sing her as a kid. And how I would never want that. I have my memories I still have a relationship to my mom. 
I wouldn't want to see her rendered in AI. That's the last thing I would ever want. But it is interesting, the role that technology has played. And I think the last time I talked a bit about this, I mentioned how, while I am dismissive of that, and I don't like it, it might not even be about the technology. Because it's still causing the person to have a response. If they have faith in that, if the person has faith in that AI version of their dead loved one, I don't know, they're still having some, they're still transcending our reality in some way. I guess where I have reservation is it's, 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 it's an illusion and it's still based on this material experience that in order to have a, an interaction with that person or their memory, you have to see a version of them that's been created by a computer. I don't think you have to see it. I think you can get beyond that. It doesn't have to be an imitation of who they were in the flesh. But I like hearing people explore that idea. But, you know, I'm very aware of the absence of my mom, not just because I was close to her, but also just... uh, She played such a different role in people's lives, and I think this is true for her friends as well, where she was the sort of person who was genuinely interested in the people in her life. She asked a lot of questions, and I mean, sometimes I was rude. You know, I'm her son. We all know what it's like to have a parent. Sometimes I would be like, eh, you know, too many questions. But she was genuine. She was genuinely interested in people's lives way more than I am. Like, you know, she worked in real estate and she would, when it, whoever her clients were at any given time, she would tell me all about their lives. And to be honest, I wasn't particularly interested. I did hear some interesting things, but in general, it's like I didn't really care about how this guy, this is his second wife and his first wife was this and he has kids with her who do this. You know, I, I'm just... I'm not as interested in those aspects of people's lives, especially if I don't know them, but she was, you know, these were her clients, but she took a genuine interest in people's stories. And that was especially true for the people in her life, you know, her family, her friends. And there were a couple of her friends where when my mom died, it was really sad for me because, you know, beyond the fact that my mom had died talking to these couple of her friends, I was very aware of the fact that those people won't be able to fill that void. Which is a funny thought to have as somebody's son who just lost their beloved mom. But like I have her in me. You know, like I am a product of her, so I feel a little bit differently. Whereas with these friends, it's like, you know, you could tell that it's like they lost one of the few, maybe one of the only people they know who will listen to them. And it just made me kind of sad because that's who my mom was to people. It's like she was a person in other people's lives who would take an interest in what's going on with them. And with her not being around, I'm very aware of how many people in my life really don't have much of an interest. They're really not that interested in what's going on in my life in what's going on in other people's lives. And I would say I'm not critical of that because I think I am that too. 
Like, I like to know what my friends and family are doing, but still. And I think coronavirus has really reinforced that. I've noticed this sort of chill that's taken people over. You know, just like there's that November chill. And that, to me, signals winter, even before winter is officially here. At some point in the last year and a half or so, I just noticed this chill set in. Where people are even more self-absorbed and just sort of cut off. Like they got rubbed raw and something grew over the heart, uh, grew over the, the raw parts and just sort of hardened. I don't know that that's finished, but it's tough to get past that because I like to keep myself raw. You know, people will tell me I'm cold. I've always been told that, that I'm a cold person, but I try to keep myself pretty raw. I try not to let anything kind of grow over me, and I don't think it has in the last couple of years. Anything that was grown over, I think, was already grown over, but enough about that. But that's that's the thing that I, I miss. In, in contrast to the other people in my life, that's the thing I miss about her in particular is just the genuine interest that she took. And, of course, she took a great interest in me as her son, and we were particularly close, talked about a lot of things. But it's just something I'm aware of in general, too, where it's just like that genuine interest. Because it really doesn't feel like a world that she is a part of. And she's a part of it in some ways. But this doesn't feel like the world that she inhabited. And uh, it's the reality, though. So, you know, you just face that reality. But, uh, you know, when she died, too, it's like I felt more of a motivation to be like her because I'm not naturally like her. But I felt for a few months there that I was making an attempt to not be like her, not to pull some Norman Bates where I'm wearing her clothes and pretending I'm her, but just to make her wonderful qualities more a part of how I interact with the world but I've really shut off, you know, I've, I've really, you know, it's just, it's really too much to deal with most people these days. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't really like that, but I also don't see much of an alternative. There's just such a nastiness. And when there's not that nastiness, there is that kind of chill to people. There is that self-absorption. I don't think about it much, but I'm just aware of it. But it's not over. It's not how it's always going to be. And that's why you do need power-ups. That's why you do need shifts. And tomorrow, I'm looking at January 21st being a shift. Because it's got to happen now. I've got to will it to happen. I can't expect tomorrow to do it for me. I have to will it to happen. I have to fix my sleep schedule. I have to be more proactive. I have to do more of the things that I know make me feel better. Because guess what? When I don't do them, I feel worse. Who would have thought? It's like diet. My diet has still been pretty good. I've kept up a good diet. I haven't screwed that up. But it's funny, you know, when you do 
mess around with your diet, you notice the impact. Especially if you're observant and you pay attention. Because, I mean, sometimes you're living a life where you're not even in a position to notice those changes. Like when I think back about eating bad food all the time, drinking all the time, doing whatever I wanted all the time, I didn't even notice that I felt like shit all the time because that was just my standard. I was so used to feeling like shit that I really only noticed it when I felt like extra shit, what we call extra shit, which is to say hungover. I pretty much only noticed that I felt like shit when I was hungover because I was so used to feeling that way constantly. But I notice it sometimes. I mean, I think it was like two years ago. I hadn't smoked weed for quite a while. And I got some weed. And then, of course, as I always do, I binge eat. And there was some, I think after my mom died, there were some frozen cookies left behind, something like that. And it was cookie dough. There was some frozen cookie dough, which is really good. I like frozen cookies. I like frozen cookie dough. And I remember just going for the cookie dough. And guess what? I felt like absolute garbage the next day. And I did that for a few nights. It's never just a one-night deal for me. It's, I go on a little streak. Kind of like how baseball teams play a bunch of games. They play a series. For me, binge eating, when I'm smoking weed and I binge eat, I have a little series. I just go for it for days on end. And that's what I did with the cookie dough and a bunch of other crap. And you know what? There was a noticeable effect. But because I haven't lived that way for a long time, I was aware of it. I was aware of how I felt. And I guess that's been the good thing about the last couple months is I've felt like shit in a lot of ways. But I've been aware of it. Because when you're not aware of it, that's the worst. It's kind of like talking about synchronicity. is simply being aware of those experiences. Not just synchronicity, but anything that falls into that inexplicable other category. So many people live lives where they, they just don't even allow themselves to be aware of those things. And often those people feel constrained and confined. And they don't know why. Just like people who have poor diets, poor discipline, bad sleep schedules. They're, they'll feel physically terrible all the time. And that impacts how they feel mentally, how they interact with the world. But they don't realize there's any relationship there. They're angry and they're nasty about things. But they don't realize there's any relationship to the way they live, even though you hear that. But it's like a platitude. You hear these platitudes that are true all the time, but you don't really believe them. There's no impact. But once you experience those platitudes, once you have some sort of epiphany, you realize they're true. But I am going to make more of an effort to pay attention to those things. I don't feel like I have to. I don't feel like there's anything left for me to learn, but I realize it's a good exercise because guess what? I also pay attention to a million other things that I'm not going to learn anything from. I have tons of background noise on all the time that isn't going to teach me anything new. I mean, thinking about the cultural commentary. I enjoy that. 
I might sound mad, but I'm having fun. I have fun with all that stuff. I might not like the things I'm talking about, but it does entertain me to think about it and talk about it. But I'm willing to listen to other people talk about that crap too, even though I'm not going to learn anything. So I have to remember that about some of these other subjects that I am interested in, that I've always been interested in. But I'll have opportunities to pay attention to those things, and I think, eh, you know, what else am I going to get from that? Well, you could say that about anything that's good for you. You could say that about meditation. You could say that about working out. Eh, you know, I already know how to do that. I already did that once. Which is sort of the attitude people have with fitness, where so many people go to the gym once, get really sore, and they're like, wait, I have to do this over and over again? You're telling me I have to do this over and over? I don't just go to the gym once, feel really good about it, and that's it? No, usually usually the things that are good for you are things that you have to do over and over again. You have to form a discipline around them. And they usually don't give you an immediate high. Maybe when you first start doing them, you feel a certain high, but it might not even be the actual action that you're doing that gets you that high. For a person who goes to the gym, they get high off telling people, hey, I'm going to the gym, I'm working out, I just started jogging. They're high on the the social aspect of that, that they get to tell people that. They get to tell people they're doing something good for themselves. But you're not going to be elated doing that all the time. After a month, you're not going to be elated just because you do it. But there's going to be a gradual improvement. But one thing that gets me is just how quickly time goes. You know, this has been a very strange month, but I, I could say that every month. But this one, I don't know. I was looking at an email that was from like the first half of December, and I was just like, wow, that truly felt like it was yesterday. But that's just what happens when you have tunnel vision and you're just getting through each day. You're taking each day at a time. Sometimes that happens. What else we got here? Didn't have a whole lot to say. Just kind of wanted to communicate that tomorrow's a big day. Because I'm making it one. I have to make a decision. That's kind of what I was saying at the beginning. Where you make a decision. Like you can, when, when a loved one dies, you can decide to commemorate them on their day of death. Many people do. You're of course going to think of your loved one on that day. But you can also make a decision to choose their birthday. You can make a decision how you choose to remember them. You know, there's a lot of decision making that goes in. And you're in full control because it's your show. But you do have to will it. I mean, I think I've been in this position now for a while, for the past couple of years really, maybe more where I keep expecting something, I keep expecting an opportunity. Not in an entitled way, 
But I'm just like that opportunity, that life changing opportunity is just going to come to me and I'm going to know it and I'm going to take it. But I realize, especially right now that, you know, as the cliche says, you have to create those opportunities, but you also have to pay attention and be aware of them. That's a big part of it too. Just like you need to be aware of the fact that you're feeling like shit and that your lifestyle might be greatly contributing to that. It might be completely, it might be the reason why you feel like shit, but you're not even fully aware of the fact that you feel like shit. Therefore, you're not aware of what you're doing to make yourself feel that way. Just like you have to pay attention to experience things that are just a little bit further beyond from our material experience, like synchronicity, like some of these epiphanies that are lurking out there, waiting to kind of charge your brain. But you have to be aware, you have to be paying attention, because that's what makes you ready to notice them. You know, it's the same thing for opportunities. Yeah, you, you create opportunities, but you also put yourself in a position to notice them when they're there. I think I commented on this the other night, but I'd been reading something like from men who realized much later in life that they had an opportunity with a girl in high school or college where the girl signaled to them that she was interested in them. And it took them years to realize, oh, when she was doing that, she was actually signaling that she was into me. And it kind of plays into this, oh, man, guys are so dense. Guys are so dense, they don't even know when a girl is uh, totally into them. That's part of it. But part of it is just all this stuff that I'm talking about, being so distracted, being so caught up in other thoughts that you don't notice that opportunity. I mean, I have a couple of those. I certainly have a couple of those deep in my history. Where it was like, oh yeah, that girl, she was obviously interested in me. And of course people get hung up on those ones, which is silly. Oh well. You didn't date the girl. You didn't screw that girl. Oh. You better regret it for the rest. Oh my God, you better, you better worry about it now. You better have anxiety about it now. But that happens with every opportunity. That happens with many things. And the idea isn't to kick yourself over it. The idea is, well, are you going to pay attention now? You weren't paying attention then. Are you going to pay attention now? Because that's all you have to do. You just got to pay a little bit of attention. So beyond what I have to do tomorrow, beyond some work I have to put in, that's my goal for tomorrow is just to be fully aware, to be paying attention, and to make sure that I'm doing that most of the time now. Because I don't feel like my brain has been shut off, but I've been living like somebody whose brain is shut off. And we're a month into winter. 21 days into the new year. And if there's one thing I can't let myself do, it's to live like somebody whose brain is shut off. Because everything else shuts off from there.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 